Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Diane Chamberlain. She is the author of The Last House on the Street, which is published by our friends at St. Martin's Press. Diane, welcome to the program. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. It is an honor to have you here. And my first question for you, Diane, is one I have been asking every author for the past couple of years. And that question is, how have you been doing for these last couple of years under COVID-19? And how has the promotion of this book been different than other books you have written in the past? Mm. Well, the promotion's been very different because Mm. usually I'm on the road, um, visiting bookstores and attending um, luncheons and all of that kind of stuff is just out the window this time. Um, My visit to Quail Ridge Books was the only in-person event that I've had and I'm so glad we were able to find a way to do that because that's really important to me. Um, But it's been um, a lot of Zoom interviews, a lot of Zoom meetings with readers, And a lot of um, interviews on paper, Q and A. So very different. And um, you know, I don't miss all the hotels, but I miss getting to meet readers face to face. That's so special. It is absolutely, and we were thrilled to have you here at Quail Ridge. And even though I know people in the world are experiencing a lot of Zoom fatigue right now, I know that your readers are thankful that you're still able to do that. Thank you, Diane. Uh, let's now dive into your excellent new novel, The Last House on the Street. And I love this novel, Diane. It's the first one of your novels that I have read, and wow, um, it is compulsively readable, timely, uh, weighty, um, all of the things that you want a fantastic book to be. For our listeners who are unaware, and hopefully there are not many of them, can you talk about the Voting Rights Act, what it is or what it was? Mm-hmm. Well, in 1965, um, In 1964, there was the Civil Rights Act, which protected the civil rights of all people, all Americans. And then in 1965, there was the Voting Rights Act, which was going to fill in some of the gaps that were left out by the Civil Rights Act. Mm -hmm. And um, that would protect people from any sort of abuse as they tried to register to vote any sort of abuse at the polls. Um, Prior to that, people could, uh, and I'm talking mostly of people of color, could um, lose their homes, they could lose their jobs, they could, they were subjected to um, abuse, sometimes physical abuse when they went to Mm -hmm. register or to vote. They had to take literacy tests in order to register which meant that they had to um, both read and interpret a part of the constitution. Uh, So, and also pay a poll tax. So, and this is mostly in the American South that we're talking about. So the Voting Rights Act corrected all of that. And it also stated that any state um, in the South or any state that had been using some of those techniques would have to be um, pre-cleared before they 
adopted any new um, voting rights impediments. So in other words, let's say that um, Georgia had wanted to reduce the number of um, polls in black areas. They would have to get pre-cleared by the government in order to do that. And of course they would not be able to do it. In 2013, the Supreme Court did away with a lot with the pre-clearance part of this amendment. And so then um, that's what's happening now is that the states are making changes that no longer need to be cleared with the federal government. And there are changes that hurt people of color when it comes to voting. So when I started writing the book, I knew that, um, you know, that there were problems because of that 2013 Supreme Court ruling, but I had no idea that it was going to get as bad as it is today. Um, Just yesterday, the Senate voted against a new Voting Rights Act that would protect people of color. So I'm very, I'm feeling very discouraged about that. Yeah, me too. And what a shame uh, that we've come full circle in a very bad way. Um, I'm not happy about that either. Well, um, Diane, your book opens uh, in 2010 with the character of Kayla. Kayla is visited by a person named Ann Smith. Ann Smith does not have an appointment with Kayla. Can you describe this opening scene for our listeners? Sure. Kayla is an architect. And she and her husband, who was also an architect, recently designed a beautiful new house that they were going to move into. They have a three-year-old daughter. While he was building the house, her husband had a a fatal accident. So she is now um, a new widow, and she's just getting back to work in her office and is feeling very fragile. And in walks this client, Ann Smith, who begins talking to her about what changes she wants to make to her house. But there's something really off about this woman. She is wearing um, large mirrored sunglasses so that uh, Kayla sees herself reflected in the sunglasses. She can't see the woman's eyes. The woman's obviously wearing a red wig and has a very deep voice. And after she talks about the changes she wants made to her house, she begins saying things to Kayla like, you don't really want to move into that house, do you? You don't want your little girl to be playing in those woods. The house is in a very wooded lot. And so Kayla begins to feel really threatened because this woman obviously knows a lot about her about her life and about the house. And she essentially gets the woman out of her office, but she's very shaken. Mm-hmm. So that is the opening of, of the story. Absolutely. Thank you, Diane. And now let's flash back to 1965 for the other thread of our story. And this is with the character Ellie. Um, Ellie's father is reading a newspaper article about a group called Scope. Who is Scope and what are they doing? 
Scope was a real organization. Uh, it stands for Summer Community Organization and Political Education. Uh, I always have to stop and remember what that is. Nice work. Um, it was, it, it took place in the summer of 64 and 65, and maybe a little bit in 66. And what it was, was a program that brought Northern students, Northern white students into the South to help to register black voters. And Ellie's father in the scene you're talking, talking about, he's reading in the newspaper that Scope is coming to their little North Carolina town. Uh, and he's, he's just sort of chuckling over it because it sounds ludicrous to him. And her brother and mother are there and they um, are talking about how, how wrongheaded it would be to bring these white students in to register black voters because things are just fine as they are. But to Ellie, this, this perks her up. Ellie had an aunt who was from the North and had, had raised Ellie's consciousness about um, black rights. And so Ellie has recently, she goes to the University of North Carolina uh, in Chapel Hill, and she had recently taken part in some protests there. So she's becoming a little bit radicalized and her ears per perk up when she hears about this scope program. And she decides that this is something she wants to do. She's also motivated by something that happened in her past that we don't know right away, but it's a very strong motivator. Absolutely, thank you. Diane, and we'll return to um, the character of Ellie's Aunt Carol later after the break. But first, I want to ask you about the idea of quote unquote Northern agitators. Uh, even though this group's scope is coming uh, from the West Coast as well as the North, they are referred to as Northern agitators. What is a Northern agitator, and why does the idea of said Northern agitators ruffle? Buddy's feathers so much. Buddy, listeners, uh, is Ellie's brother. Yeah, um, the scope workers would never consider themselves agitators. They mm. would consider themselves freedom fighters. Mm. But to a, a young Southern man like Buddy, they would they pre present a threat to their way of life. And so that's why Buddy gets his his feathers ruffled. And of course, um, a, the idea of these Northern students coming into the South ruffles a lot of feathers. And it's interesting that the Ku Klux Klan had more of a presence in North Carolina than any other state at that time. Um, the Civil Rights Act really brought a lot of people out of the woodwork so there were more claverns and more clan members than in any other state. Yeah, and what a shame that is. Well, thank you, Diane. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Diane Chamberlain. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. 
Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Diane Chamberlain, author of The Last House on the Street, which is published by our friends at St. Martin's Press. Diane, before the break, we talked about the idea of Northern agitators. I now want to talk about the concept of the Deep South. There is a refrain in this novel of the character Ellie. Often when talking about protesters being harmed, Ellie will say, but that was in the Deep South, not North Carolina. Uh, What does this mean and why does she keep saying it? Well, it's very true that in the Deep South, um, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, things were um, even worse than they were in North Carolina. North Carolina was relatively mild by comparison, um, but being a North Carolinian, I really wanted to write about North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the Deep South, that's where the, um, the murders happened um, in 1964, three civil rights workers, two white men and one black man were murdered and um, by the Klan. And that really seems to have stuck in the mind of many Americans, myself included. Mm. It really opened my eyes. I was only 14 at the time, but it really opened my eyes to to civil rights Mm. and started me on a journey of learning more and more and um, and just awakening me to what was happening to people of color in the United States. So um, so yes, things were rougher in the Deep South, and and for the scope workers, things were rougher. There were uh, in my research, I looked at incident reports of things that happened to the scope workers, and by far they they had a much rougher time in the deeper south than they did in North Carolina. Those those things still happened in North Carolina for sure. Yeah. And do you think, Diane, that the deep south and North Carolina are two different places in the minds of the citizens of North Carolina today as we sit here in 2022? <laughs> oh, do you boy. think they're different? You know, that's a really hard question for me to answer. I think we need to talk to a native North Carolinian. I've been here 16 years, and it's definitely my adopted home. Um, And I think that there's most definitely a difference in terms of um, geography. In terms of the people, I don't know. In the year uh, 2021, I have a lot of friends who live in the deep South, but they think like I do. So it's really hard for me to uh, say what the general population is like. Yeah. Um, and I kind of agree. I'm, I'm 
probably in the same type of bubble that you are, um, but I wonder how my friends from, say, California view North Carolina um, <laughs> sometimes. Well, uh, thank you, Diane. Um, I told you before the break we were going to come back to Aunt Carol. Uh, Ellie's Aunt Carol was sort of a confidant to Ellie, uh, maybe an island of sanity amongst a family who didn't believe that everyone should have equal opportunities. Can you talk about the importance of having such a person present uh, as a liberally minded child growing up in the South in the 1960s? Yeah, um, Aunt Carol married into the family. Uh, she married, um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, one, of, one of the brothers of uh, her mother. And she ended up, after that, that um, gentleman died, she ended up staying with the family. And it comes out during the story that the reason she ended up staying was to protect Ellie from turning into uh, her parents. And so she was, she became her, her confidant. She was the person that it was safe for Ellie to talk to about anything that was going on with her. And she would tell her, uh, Ellie, to, you know, follow her heart and follow her conscience. And Ellie really took her guidance to heart and um, became involved in so many uh, avenues of, that were more progressive at that time, thanks to Aunt Carol. So she was just an important figure in Ellie's life and somebody she would always uh, turn to when she had any issues. But Aunt Kelly died, Aunt Kelly, Aunt Carol dies early on um, before the story even opens. And it makes Ellie only feel stronger in terms of carrying on Aunt Carol's um, concerns and the fight that she started. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Diane, did you have an Aunt Carol in your life when you were growing up? No, I had a grandmother who sort of served the same purpose. She was certainly no radical, but um, she dyed her hair red till she till her death at 95. So she was a character and we lived with her. Um, she had rheumatoid arthritis and used a wheelchair and I have rheumatoid arthritis. So she, I think of her as um, the person that I follow, the person that I uh, turn to in my mind when I'm struggling with anything. So it's wonderful to have somebody like that in your life. Absolutely, it is. Thank you, Diane. Um, the Reverend Philburn, who is welcoming the students from SCOPE in order to get more Black citizens registered to vote, he thinks Ellie's father, the town pharmacist, is a good man. But Ellie's father does not support her desire to register voters, as he thinks folks like things fine just the way they are. Uh, can you talk about these two separate faces of Ellie's father, the one who helps the Reverend Philburn, but also the one who doesn't want to help him. And how does this complicate this character of Ellie's father? You know, I think Ellie's father was like a lot of people at that time or even today, mm -hmm. where they think of themselves as good people. Uh, he would take medications 
to black people in in the poorer neighborhoods um, as a pharmacist. He would do that mm-hmm. and um, treated people well, but they needed to stay in their place. And I think that that was very, very common uh, way of thinking. Uh, her mother at one point says, um, Louise, who was their housekeeper, was a wonderful person, but she knew her place. And that Mm -hmm. irritates Ellie uh, to no end. How can Mm -hmm. they, it it confuses her, how can her parents be good people but still have this attitude? And I just think it was a very common attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Diane. Finally, um, and hopefully we have given listeners just enough to inspire them to come buy a signed copy of The Last House on the Street from Quail Ridge Books or from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping uh, if they are not in North Carolina or don't want to go out because of COVID-19. But finally, when Ellie first steps into Reverend Philburn's church, he tells her that he was worried that she was there to set a bomb in one of his pews. I imagine there are white churchgoers out there in the world who might be worried of the same thing if they saw a person of a different race uh, in their church during off hours. My question, Diane, um, and if you can answer this, you have my vote for president. What can we do, Diane, to stop being so suspicious of one another just because of different skin tones, different political beliefs, different religions, etc.? We mentioned earlier that we've come full circle in a bad way. Uh, What is our way forward? Oh, boy, that's a really great question. Um, You know, I think, I I don't mean this to sound like kumbaya, Mm. but I think we need to get to know each other. And I think there are certain churches that have really tried hard to bring um, people of different faiths together um, so that we get to know each other as human beings. I had the good fortune of going to schools that were very well integrated. Um, the, my high school and my, my middle school were half black. And I know that when I started college, my roommate had grown up in an all white town and she had a lot of anxiety around the black students in our college that was completely alien to me. And I think it's just because I had that good fortune of growing up with uh, a lot of people who were different from me. And I think that's the only way to solve this is for us to get to know people who are not like us and uh, find avenues where we can interact with other folks. I don't know of any other way. Absolutely, I would agree. And um, thank you, you have my vote, Diane Chamberlain, 2024. Um, Well, thank you, Diane. And thank you for writing this wonderful, touching, weighty, compulsively, readable book. I'm so thankful that I read it. And it is our number one bestseller this week amongst some heavy competition. So I know our customers are thankful that you wrote it as well. Listeners, I've been speaking with Diane Chamberlain, author of The Last House on the Street, which is published by our friends at St. Martin's Press. Diane, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Jason. 
once again, I would like to thank Diane Chamberlain for joining me. Signed copies of The Last House on the Street can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's P-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.